0: Howdy, this is Too Busy For Crypto. This podcast is for fans of cryptocurrency who want to learn and articulate ideas, but who don't have time to be watching hours of YouTube videos where most of the best crypto education currently exists. This episode, I will discuss what is yield. This episode is meant to address general financial literacy with just a little bit related to crypto at the end. This is not financial advice. Let's begin. Do you know what yield is? Do you know where yield is? Do you got yield? If you can answer yes to all three of these questions, then you have cracked the code on wealth creation, and you have a bright future ahead of you. I know what yield is. I am looking for where it is. And I don't know if I got it yet, but I am hopeful. Few people know what yield is in financial terms. Few people know where to find yield. Finding yield does not always translate to getting yield. Like with anything else, to get yield, you have to know what it is and be looking for it. In this episode, I will begin by discussing financial yield as it relates to most Americans who do not participate in crypto. Then, I will discuss yield in crypto a little bit. However, it is important to understand conventional yield before thinking about unconventional yield. Part 1. What is yield? The idea of yield that most closely speaks to the human experience is living yield. Living yield is my term for the idea that either one bacteria divides into two clones, or that male and female reproductive cells combine genes to create a unique offspring. In everyday terms, we can have children, we can cultivate food crops, brew beer with yeast, make bread with yeast, breed and raise livestock. We can hunt and gather food that breeds on its own without our involvement. Living yield, as a result of natural reproductive processes, is our most basic concept of yield. When we look at living yield, we see that the product requires an investment of energy. Living things must get energy from their environment to grow and reproduce. In chemistry, which is one layer of abstraction above biology, this initial energy investment is called activation energy. That is the energy required to get the ball over the top of the hill so it can start rolling down the other side of the hill on its own. For a farmer, seeds that are saved are savings, and seeds that are planted are an investment. For a venture capitalist, early funding of a business may be called seed money. Mineral yield is similar to living yield, and together they comprise natural yield. Mineral yield arises from geological things. Natural processes produce deposits such as oil or metals, and people can extract these deposits with work. Extraction of geological deposits results in mining yield. Businesses produce yield as long as the business profits exceed the cost of doing business. As a concept, business is literally busyness. It is human activity. Most of the created value that we experience in life comes from human activity. Land is perhaps the most well-known conduit to achieve yield. With a plot of land, a person may raise food or mine deposits, or establish a place of business. If a person buys land, then any of these activities may gradually reimburse the value of the land purchase to the owner. Money does not directly generate yield from itself. Money is a medium of exchange that allows for transporting value through time and space. You trade a cow or food crop for money, and you can spend that money now or later and here or elsewhere. If money buys tools or property to do work, that is, money as a medium of exchange for something else that produces yield, the money is not working on its own. For money to generate yield on its own, it must be treated like seeds and invested in a financial application. Part 2. Financial Products The most common financial applications are loans and equity. Loans entitle the lender to yields of interest payments from borrowers, and ownership equity can entitle the owner to yields of dividends from business profits. Let's talk lending. If money is lent with no added cost, then that is simple borrowing. Money lending for profit relies on interest. Interest is usually a fee that is proportional to the size of the loan. Interest is like a rental fee for money that could be used elsewhere. Lenders are in the position of dictating the terms of a loan. Terms regarding the repayment of principal and interest indicate the nature of the loan. The term usury tends to refer to excessive interest that grows as fast as it is repaid. To some, usury refers to any interest on borrowing. To a lender, interest is a form of yield, and it incentivizes lenders to lend. Interest disincentivizes borrowing when the rate is too high. Lending and interest underpin many types of financial products. Such products have a structured payment, that a person expects to occur with some regularity. Bonds exemplify this. What is a bond? A bond is a distributed loan, or a crowd-sourced loan. With a standard loan, a single borrower signs a contract with a single lender, like a bank, and the bank gives money to the borrower. With a bond, a borrower issues certificates to buyers, The certificates, which are bonds, entitle the bondholder to receive payments for some period of time. In aggregate, these certificates add up to a large amount, and the payments are distributed to bondholders. Certificates used to be physical, now they are digital. Banks make money from bond sales by acting as a middleman. The banks act as the issuer on behalf of a borrower. The borrower gets a lump sum, and the bank handles bond issuance and payments to investors who want a claim to the repayments. In America, bonds are a regulated product known as a security. A security is a situation or a product when people pay money into a common pool with the expectation of profit solely from the work of others. Besides bonds and loans, there is owner's equity. Shares or stocks are owner's equity. Bonds and loans are considered assets by those receiving interest and are considered liabilities by those paying interest. Equity shares may receive dividends. But a business has no obligation to pay those dividends to shareholders the same way there is an obligation to pay interest to bondholders. Shares or stocks are also securities. Many profitable businesses pay dividends to shareholders. Profitability is key. A dividend, broadly speaking, is is when a company returns excess profits to stockholders instead of investing those profits back into the business or into another investment. When a business pays a dividend, that is, an incentive for the stockholder to continue to hold the stock. If the stockholder does not receive dividends, then the only way for the stockholder to make money from the stock is to sell it at a higher price than it was purchased for. In any market, when there is more selling than buying, the price goes down. Dividends disincentivize selling, which supports the stock price. Most financial products that produce yield can be sold for more or less than was paid for their acquisition. This is called price appreciation or depreciation. An ideal investment is one that combines price appreciation plus yield. Part 3. Where is the yield? Everyone is looking for yield. By everyone, I mean traders and people seeking passive income. People want to put their money to work, making more money. Some people can invest directly in business, but not most people. A more common way to make yield is to own a property and rent it out. Beyond direct investment in business or land, many people look to financial markets like the stock and bond markets. The bond market is bigger than the stock market, something like $90 trillion versus $70 trillion in 2022. Companies around the world are fueled by debt in the form of bonds, And bondholders like recurring payments. Some stockholders seek stocks with dividends, but most stockholders expect no yield and are hoping for price appreciation. A stock dividend might pay 1 to 5% annually, although most stocks do not pay dividends. A mutual fund or ETF that holds shares of the entire US stock market might pay a dividend of 1.5 to 1.7%. A number like that indicates the weighted average of all dividend payments that a certain fund holds. Whether the share price of a fund or stock goes up or down 50%, the dividend percent will most likely track the share price. If one looks at the yield like a cushion, A 2% dividend is only a cushion for a 2% price drop. Bonds are ranked by credit ratings. Wall Street rating agencies issue credit ratings. In general, high ratings mean low yield and low ratings mean high yield. High yield bonds are also called junk bonds. There is a lot of jargon around credit ratings to make them seem more meaningful than they are and to confuse unwary customers. Always ask yourself, who is the rating for and who is paying for the rating? Bond yield varies with interest rates. During the recent era of low interest rates from 2008 to 2022, the Fed funds rate set by the Federal Reserve was zero to two percent, mostly zero. During that time, junk bond funds that you could get through your broker might produce six to ten percent yield, but these junk bonds would sell off just as hard as stocks at the same time that stocks sold off. In stocks, ten percent sell-offs are expected about once a year, Safe-haven bonds that don't get sold off when stocks tank tend to be government bonds with low yields and high credit ratings. A high-quality bond fund might have a yield similar to the U.S. 10-year bond yield. From 2008 to 2022, that fluctuated between 1.5% and 4%. The point of saying these numbers is to provide some anchoring numbers that loosely describe what has happened in the last 15 years conventional yield in the stock market is low with zero being common and 1.5 to 1.7% representing the global aggregate high quality bonds fill the next range from 1.5 to 4% then medium-quality bonds blend from that range up to the junk bond range of six to ten percent yield. These are ballpark historical numbers. When people talk about choosing investments, they present risk of loss versus potential gains. Two things presented as higher risk of loss are growth stocks and high-yield bonds. Two things presented as Lower risk of loss are value stocks and U.S. government bonds. This is to say that greater potential yield is tied directly to greater risk of loss. How to make decisions about appropriate exposure to risk and reward is a matter of debate. Part 4. What puts yield at risk? Risks are endless. For a somewhat complete list of legally defined types of investment risks, I suggest going to the website Investopedia and searching for what is risk. This will give you the dry rundown of risks that investment advisors and managers are required to repeat to clients. I will mention a few types of macroeconomic risks that apply to broad categories of yield that I've mentioned already. I will focus on interest rate risk, inflation risk, and currency risk, and how they are tied together to influence yield. Government currencies are called fiat currency because governments say they are worth something by fiat or by force of decree. Fiat currencies are not backed by anything of value except the threat of violence. In the past, Currencies were issued by banks that held assets like gold and silver. And the currency was meant to more easily transport the value of gold and silver without moving the metals themselves. Since fiat currencies have no asset backing, central banks print fiat currency endlessly, which devalues all of the currency that has already been printed. This is called monetary inflation. Monetary Inflation Drives Inflation Risk and Currency Risk Inflation risk is the risk that your currency will lose value and asset prices will rise to compensate. Currency risk is the risk that your currency will lose value versus the currency of another country. This matters for international business and travel. If you own international stocks or bonds, they become more valuable when the U.S. dollar is relatively weaker. Inflation risk drives interest rate risk. The Federal Reserve is supposed to only use two monetary tools. The first tool is adjusting the Fed funds rate. The second tool is printing money. Printing money leads to inflation which means to fight inflation, the Fed must stop printing or destroy money, and they must raise interest rates. This does not mean the Fed does both things. Rising interest rates is interest rate risk. Even more than the average person, most businesses rely on debt to function, even if they have money in the bank. When the Fed fund's rate is raised, all other interest rates are likely to rise because The Fed Fund's rate is the floor. If business relies on debt and interest rates go up, then the cost of doing business rises. When the cost of doing business rises, the economy slows and sometimes the stock market declines. When interest rates are stable during a stock market decline, investors tend to buy bonds. But if interest rates are going up, Then they sell off the old bonds they have to get new bonds with higher interest. This turnover leads to lower prices through the whole bond market. Because the cash flow of bonds gives them some intrinsic value, the bond yields increase as the bond price decreases. In general, yields increase while interest rates increase. Did you get all that? The short version is... Money printing is monetary inflation, monetary inflation leads to price inflation, price inflation leads to rising interest rates, and rising interest rates leads to economic declines and yield adjustments. Although the market is incomprehensibly complex, this little story often shines through. Part 5. Describing Yield Now let's pretend that inflation is the only risk to a yield-bearing product. How do we describe the yield that becomes profit? The term is real yield. Let's say I own shares of a fund that paid out 5% yield last year. If inflation was 2%, then my real yield is 3%. Nominal yield minus inflation equals real yield. If the fund reports a yield of 5% and inflation is 8%, then I have minus 3% real yield. In other words, I can see the dollar amount in my fund rise by 5%, but because of inflation, that new bigger amount still only lets me buy 3% less of the same stuff as when the yield period began. Negative real yield is the quiet threat facing financial systems around the globe. You can be sure the average person will feel the brunt of it. Negative real yields destroy the value of investments categorized as safe or risk-free. And force investors and institutions to turn to riskier bets, where they at least have a shot at positive real yield. However... At the moment, the macroeconomic pendulum has swung the other way as banks raise interest rates in response to inflation. Now, high interest rates are a risk to borrowers rather than negative interest rates being a risk to investors. It is up to you to understand the difference between nominal yield and real yield. Nominal just means named. The yield that is named ...does not back out automatic negatives like inflation or chance negatives like loan default risk. To me, inflation is the biggest automatic negative. If you are getting a nominal 5% annual payment on a $1,000 bond, then you are getting $50 per year until the bond matures. How much groceries can $50 buy you today? Half a paper bag? How much could $50 buy you five years ago? A full bag? Maybe two bags ten years ago. Now extrapolate that out to the future. There are different ways to report nominal yield. For funds that generate yield, you will see either TTM yield or 30-day SEC yield or 7-day SEC yield. TTM means trailing 12 months. TTM Yield is the exact yield you would have earned if you owned the product for one year prior to the reporting period. This is more backward looking, but it incorporates more information. SEC Yield is a defined calculation that is more current and uses less information. 30-day SEC Yield reports an annualized yield based on the last month. If the product made this past month's yield for another 11 months, those 12 monthly yields would equal the SEC yield number. This is similar to current yield, which is a calculation specific to bonds that incorporates the current bond price when determining the yield. As opposed to yield to maturity, which reflects the total return of a bond if The bond price never changes. If you don't remember these terms, at least remember that there are different ways to report yield with any financial product. The type of product influences how the yield will be reported. APY What is APY? Annual Percent Yield. It is the actual rate of return that will be earned in one year if the interest is compounded. If some financial product produces interest payments more often than annually, such as monthly or daily, then APY incorporates those time points. APY assumes that at each time point where payments are received, those payments are immediately reinvested and able to generate interest themselves. This is different from APR, but I can relate the two. If I have a credit card that is maxed out at $1,000, and I owe 12% APR per month that I don't pay it back, then I will owe 1% per month, which is $10 per month. I am not paying the card down so that APR interest accumulates against me. I am paying 12% APR interest but the credit card company makes 12.68% APY. That extra 0.68% comes from interest on interest. For us, mutual funds automatically reinvest yield, but ETFs pay out the yield, and leave it to the holder to reinvest. Anything that pays and reinvests yield more often than annually, like a fund or a certificate of deposit, has an APY value that describes the effect of compound interest on an annualized basis. Einstein called compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. Ben Franklin said, Money makes money, and the money that money makes makes money. Over time, the yield not only outweighs the starting investment, but the interest on the yield outweighs the starting investment. Compound interest requires two things a yield producing asset and the discipline to reinvest profits. Practicing delayed gratification is the key. Part 6. Unconventional Yield So far I have described conventional yield. I think of this as a direct or intuitive return on an expenditure of energy. Plant a tree, wait and pick fruit from the tree, fund a business Receive a cut of profits. Lend money. Receive interest payments. Lease property. Receive rent. What would be unconventional yield? I think of this as an indirect or non-intuitive return on an expenditure of energy. This is where the topic of cryptocurrency comes into play. Cryptocurrency is software. Software is computer code which is a mixture of math and logic. Some simple math and some simple logic is intuitive, but most math and logic is not intuitive. If a new system of assets and transactions can be created that is distinct from a traditional financial system, then there is probably opportunity to create software protocols that recreate things Like yield and compound interest through indirect or non intuitive processes. In the broader crypto world, there are two types of yield to distinguish custodian yield and custody free yield. Custodian yield is the most well known, yet the risks are not widely understood. Custodian yield is where I give my crypto to someone else and hope that they give me my money. And don't lose my crypto I have no recourse if someone loses my crypto it is just gone this type of yield is offered by companies like centralized crypto exchanges central exchanges are banks and they currently have little to no consumer protection for the crypto assets if I have to sign up for an account with a company to get the yield It is a custody situation and I am giving up my money with no protections. I call this fake crypto because it defeats the purpose and value of crypto. Real crypto does not have any consumer protections because I am on my own and responsible for controlling assets that are associated with a private key. There is a tricky area in crypto called staking. Some staking is fake crypto that requires custody by a counterparty, and some staking is real crypto that does not involve a counterparty. If a counterparty can spend your coins or refuse to return your coins to you without your consent, then that is fake crypto with custody risk and counterparty risk. Custody-free yield is where I find a cryptocurrency that allows me to generate yield without giving custody of my crypto to anyone. This is done through a smart contract where no one can deny me access or require a sign-up, and no one can alter the terms of the agreement. The smart contract should be immutable, audited computer code with no admin keys hidden in the code that could change the contract. Such things exist. Another thing that exists is a protocol to simulate compound interest. I will describe such a protocol in another episode. Cryptocurrency is the fastest appreciating asset class in history. Adding a yield of more cryptocurrency that simulates compound interest to that price appreciation is beyond anything available in conventional markets. Of course, with more potential rewards, there is more risk of loss. Do your own research and figure out what is appropriate for yourself. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day.